you've tapped or clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob on Mike. All right, good day. Episode 191 of College Volleyball Weekly, and we are got one week of conference play remaining unless you're in the MIVA. Uh, so Dan has a week off of golf and just hanging uh-huh. with little Ray and, and the family. So, uh, hey, good morning, gentlemen. That's Theo Edwards of Cal State Northridge, Jay Hossick of George Mason, Brad Rothstein of UC San Diego, Dan Van of Lewis. So let's look at the week 14 results. What matches caught your eyes? I'm going to throw it out to our coaches panel here because I love it when they start things off. Who wants to jump in? Uh-oh. I'll jump in then. Uh, <laughs> I, we had a lot going on in our conference, and I know we're going to cover some of it. But, um, I mean, ultimately, you know, Loyola was leading league, and they walk into Ball State and Ohio State and lose two matches. Um, and with one without Cole Schottauer, and certainly Colton Brooks isn't back in the lineup. So I think that certainly plays a big impact. And then you see, not only did we kind of know Ball State was making a late surge, but I think you saw Ohio State put themselves in a, in a position here as a season is kind of uh, concluded uh, that they they won league along with those two. And I think out of all the teams, certainly Ball State's playing well, but Ohio State's in a really good spot. And Jacob Pasteur has done a really nice job of continuing to push that team forward. You've seen Shane Witzel pop in uh, in terms of being a, um, a freshman that's making a big impact for them. Michael Wright back on the floor for them where he was injured last last year. And so, uh, but yeah, I thought that was a, a a pretty good finish to our league in terms of that. The one outside for me was Grand Canyon losing uh, twice. It's pretty big and uh, and I think uh, pretty impactful for them in terms of at-large races and where they might have been sitting. Uh, I think they got to win their tournament now. I think it's pretty tough for them to to get that at-large bid, especially with all the parity going on right now. Yeah. All right, uh, jump in. Let's talk about that uh, Ball State Loyola match or the any of the Loyola ma- losses that occurred, Jake. Well, I, I I think I think Ohio State is really riding on some momentum when they had that win over Penn State uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's starting to carry in into their you know the belief of themselves being able to go all the way or at least make it to the big dance and then see what happens. Whether or not they go from there, that's that's left to be seen, but. You know, Loyola obviously has some pretty big pieces uh, and they've lost two now uh, or not lost. I, I don't know what happened with Schlotthauer, but without him or the other outside, they, they are now becoming, you know, almost pedestrian like and they're they're not able to keep up with some of the other teams that maybe when they were full strength, they would have no issue with. So uh, the Miva, it's all about seating, you know, it's all about hosting that first round. And right now you got. Lewis sitting in fourth place. They were, it could have been seventh. They could have been traveling. And, you know, because of, you know, the criteria, which all of the conferences have a, a various criteria that they use, they're now in fourth place and they, they get slated to host the first round, which is nice. So good for them. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, the Miva and the conference Carolinas to me are the two most hotly contested because anybody can beat anybody on any given night. And we've seen it across the board. And right now those two conferences are the, are the fun ones to watch. Yeah. Brad, you're shaking, you're wagging your finger and uh, what you got to say. Yeah, no, I think all three of those teams that ended up tying for first, you know, they're going through a transition, right? 
with Loyola losing Colton Brooks was kind of a turning point for them where they were rolling, rolling, rolling. And now they've lost a couple matches and hopefully Colton's back, um, at least for us, maybe not for Dan, but hopefully Colton's <laughs> back and healthy um, for this MEVA tournament run. And then you look at Ball State, their West Coast trip where they came out, they played us, they played Grand Canyon, they played Long Beach. And um, it was a tough stretch for them. But since that stretch, I, think, I don't think they've lost since they've gotten back to the Midwest. So they've started playing a lot better and coming together since getting tested on the road and with all that travel during their spring break. And then lastly, you look at uh, who's the other team? Ohio State. Ohio State, yeah. Once they put Shane Wetzel into the starting lineup, that seemed to switch things around for them and change kind of the trajectory for where they were going this season. And obviously, Pastor has been a monster for them as well. But I think all three of those teams kind of had – turning points about four to six weeks ago and they've all they've all grown through those moments yeah anything out there Theo yeah I mean I think these guys hit it on the head um you know I think we talked early in the year about the MEBA being one of the most exciting conferences um and hopefully people have been able to get out there and watch it in person uh you know I think we we're obviously at a three-way tie first time since the 90s right that that's happened um, 96 so- yep that's that's pretty incredible. Um, and obviously those teams are really great. And to see the the parity, but also the coaching adjustments and the strategies that have happened. You know, I think the other thing that we've talked about is the separation between the top five teams and the rest of us is depth. And to lose main pieces like Loyola has, um, you know, and Jay kind of hit this, touched on this a bit, without some of those top guys you start to look like everybody else um and that's really the thing about men's volleyball in general and a very rare thing that you see in those top four or five teams where they have the depth to go with multiple lineups and can still play at an elite level um i still think that given the four and a half scholarships it it leaves us a little bit uh a little bit dry in terms of the ability to have the depth in some of these programs. And, uh, but anyways, it's incredibly exciting what's going on in the Miva, And then to see that the upset for Stanford and I, you know, I don't know that we call it an upset early in the year. We were all talking about what Stanford could be and what they could do. And um, it's not that surprising. Stanford's a really, really great team and grand Canyon after high and after riot riding high for such a long stretch, um, I think it, it becomes incredibly difficult to do it all year long and to have a couple of younger guys in the lineup and maybe some inexperience. Uh, the consistency is key when it comes towards the end of season. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see if Grand Canyon can turn it around in that tournament and, and shock the world and still find a way to get into the NCAAs. Yeah. I'm going to bounce back to Ohio State because uh, I noticed there's some key personnel or lineup changes you know, was it five or six matches ago insertion of Michael Riot Setter and Shane Wetzel really started elevating his game. But man, how brilliant is that of Birch to find that that working combo to get these big wins in the tail end of conference play? And uh let's bounce it off of Dan since he probably is the most familiar with him. Well, uh, yeah, I guess we can call him brilliant. <laughs> the, other piece, <laughs> the other piece would be I think he was trying to do that. I, I think his goal was to get those guys back on the court. I think Shane was developing, he was a freshman. Michael got hurt last year and he was trying to work him back into the system. So I think maybe the door opened up uh, with some matches in terms of where Noah was playing and uh, where the previous opposite was at in terms of that. And so I think once he got them in and they got a couple of key wins, I think it was, it was easy for him in terms of that. And so I think, uh, I think that's been his 
plan all along. I'm not in his head, but I think from seeing his pieces <laughs> and how they recruited him, you know, I'm not surprised at all. So, yeah. uh, but before I forget, Quincy beat McKendry, first conference win in like, I, I don't know, 35 games or something like that. So it's a pretty big deal. They won in five at home. So uh, kudos to Karen. And you guys should know who Karen, former Olympian herself, she has done a fantastic job there. Not to go away, Rob, from Ohio State, but I just want to make sure we give Quincy some love and what Karen's doing down there. She's got a good group, and we snuck out of there in four, and uh, it was a it was a tough one for us to get on the road. So she's done a great job with that program. Yes, former U.S. Women's National Team member Karen Kemner, head coach at Quincy. So um, anything else to add on uh, MEVA and Ohio State? We will be going back to the MEVA conference, being that they are complete, but uh, anything else to conclude our MEVA I guess, our eye-catching performances last week. No? All right. Well, I'm going to jump to Pepperdine Concordia at Concordia. Yeah, shocker result, but kind of not a shocker, especially when you have a guy named Uriel Batista on your team. I wanted to get your guys' take with uh, Concordia. As a, I hate using it, but it was an upset win over Pepperdine. Concordia, you know, two and seven in the conference at the time, uh, comes in and defeats or defeats Pepperdine, who's ranked eighth on the, the most recent ABCA poll. Thoughts on the match? And let's start with, let's go with Brad on this one. Yeah, I mean, it's surprising, but not surprising, right? We know Concordia has the ability to play at a really, really high level. You know, we saw with the Grand Canyon match, we've seen it um, with the Loyola match. They have that ability, you know, and just kind of the difference between them and some of the more consistent teams within the rankings is just that level of consistency across the board with all their attackers, you know, Yuri Batista has been really, really steady and consistent for them offensively, but the other pieces from the left sides to the middles just have days where they're, they're good and they're limiting their errors and they're, they're attacking well, or days where um, it's harder for them to kill the ball. Um, and that's just comes with them being a little bit younger. Some of them are, are in their, I mean, both of those outsides, Gage Doble, Johnny Ansalmo, Scott Montez, all outsides have played for them are all younger in their volleyball careers, especially as outside hitters. Um, so it's nothing too surprising, but those guys can play some really good volleyball. And that's a team that whoever ends up playing them in the NPSF tournament, they're going to be have to do all their work and do all their prep work because it's uh, they can beat anyone on any given night. Yep. Jump over to Jay. You know, I think Pepperdine uh, has obviously a bunch of good pieces, but Jalen Jasper is the key. And if he's having a good night, it's going to be pretty tough. And I think you watched him have uh, an okay night. It wasn't terrific and it wasn't awful, but you need some people around him to step up a little bit and be able to put some balls away when it counts. And that's kind of, for me, the difference. And, and listen, the MPSF, I, I think if anybody in the beginning of the year would have said that, you know, USC would be at the bottom of the MPSF uh, with one conference win, I think we all would have bet against that pretty heavily. Um, that to me is the most surprising of the group is that, USC can't figure out a way to win some matches when it matters. And, and they're going to go into the tournament kind of limping uh, and it's going to be a tough road for them ahead. They've got some good players. Uh, I'm just not sure why they're not connecting that well, but listen, we talked about it before. Riley's a fiery coach. He gets kids that want to play hard for him. They got a chip on their shoulder. You know, right now they're, they're looking at it going, Hey, we, we don't really care who we see. We just want to go battle. And, uh, and that's a dangerous team to face uh, a team that doesn't have anything to lose and everything to gain. Yep. Go over to Theo. Yeah. I mean, I, like, like Jay said, it's it, a lot of this has to do with Jasper. Um, and it's funny because we've gotten to the point where the guy hits 300 and we're like, yeah, average <laughs> night, uh, you know, 22 <laughs> kills, 300, 
no big deal. Uh, and they lose, right? The next <laughs> night he hits 500 and absolutely goes crazy and does what he's been doing all year. And they beat, they beat uh, Concordia in three. Um, so, and that, that was with Batista having another 500 performance, right? Didn't he, what did he hit on night two? Let's uh, see. Yeah, Batista hit 581 and they lost in three. <laughs> so <laughs> Jalen Jasper is, is definitely the key and has been the key for Pepperdine all year. Um, you know, I think he brings, he brings a lot of stress relief for the rest of the attackers and, you know, touch on what Brad was talking about with, with CUI. Uh, we keep calling it Concordia with CUI. Um, their outs, their other outside hitters are young. They're, they're inexperienced um, by nature. And I think, you know, you know, Johnny Ansalmo being a smaller guy who is really has more of a background at libero um, him playing on the left. I don't think this team is very intimidating. Right. I think it's very, very common. You walk into the gym and you think that you're going to get a match that might be easier or or uh, might not contain a ton of firepower. And these guys play ball. They play hard. They pass the ball incredibly well um, and they don't give up. They don't go away. Uh, so you got to really, really be focused and be dialed in. And CUI was able to squeak this one out and uh, similar to what they've done you know, throughout the season. Yeah. Let's jump over and Dan to close it out. Yeah, it's interesting this player of the year conversation i'm going to turn a little bit but like where Jalen, i'm not on the all-american committee this year so i won't get to see the numbers but where is he going to lie when that conversation comes out with this group even though pepperdine's not in the top five so it'll be interesting to see where he sits and well but every committee's different it's like they vote player of the year sometimes it has to do a little bit with how your team is doing as well as the performance that you're giving so it'll be interesting to see where that kind of sits but CUI's got Gage Noble hits 500 again. When they got that big win a couple weeks ago, he was pretty unreal. So I think we know about Uriel Bazista a little bit. So, but uh, I think he's that group's continuing to get better, and you don't want to see them in the postseason when they get there for sure. But uh, Jay hit another thing though: USC being at the bottom of the MPSF, but yet still ranked. <laughs> but hey, voters, like Damon's good. Concordia is good. Like, and I know we're talking about these bottom spots. Do you know what I mean? Princeton, you know, just beat uh, Charleston. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But it's like, I think sometimes those voters get kind of stuck in their ways. And it's like, and this is nothing against SC. It has some talented guys and they're really good. But uh, I think there is a piece where sometimes the name carries weight versus like seeing some of these teams with some of these wins and the things that they're doing a little bit. So, yeah. Well, let's go Robert, to our next. Ooh, go ahead. Rob, it might be kind of cool at some point to get a couple of the voters on here to discuss some of their voting strategies, right? Like, I think one of the unique things, and obviously you have three, <laughs> you have three right here in this chat, but I think it's really interesting to Dan's point, how heavily are we weighing, like, your past versus what happened this week? And when you talk about where you should put somebody, is Ohio State automatically go ahead of Loyola, right? Like those are, does Ball State move ahead of Loyola? Are those things that automatically happen because of this week? Are we holding the whole thing? And I'm not saying either one is necessarily the right answer, but I do think that it's a very interesting topic uh, that we could for sure spend hours on. Well, listen, you know, Per Dan's request, Brad, you either got to get on the committee or you got to get off. It's one of the two because you're the only one here that isn't a voter. I voted, uh, and and I'll tell you why I still put USC at number thirteen. 
because the everyone below them is is hit or miss. And USC, although their record is not very good, when you watch them, they're still pretty good. And let's not mistake the fact they're playing some pretty good teams. So, you know, if you're playing UCLA and you lose in three straight, I don't think anybody's looking at you going, well, now we can't put them anywhere, right? Because you watch them play other teams and they're doing some good things. And you're like, that's a team that could fall in that 10 to 15 range, you know? And that 10 to 15 range to me, is the most volatile right now because at any given week you're having teams fall in, come out, go in, go out. And there are some weeks where literally the top five teams are all winners. And you're like, okay, well, I can't shift them. And then the next 10 teams all lose a game. And so now how do you shift according to that? It's a, it's a hit or miss strategy for anybody. And listen, everybody votes differently. I, I, myself, I take a look at prior results. I take a look at current week results and I kind of do a conglomerate of where do I think they fall in between things. And sometimes they don't change. And sometimes they do. And sometimes it's drastic. And sometimes it's minute. But I take it seriously. That's why I've been on the committee for a number of years. And I care about what goes on in there. And you're right. There are some coaches that mail it in. We all know who they are. And they always put their team in there somewhere because oh, I need to get some press for my team. Or I, we're the best team hands down. I don't care what anybody else says. That's bullshit. And it is. And and it sucks because the rest of the people that deserve some space and deserve some airtime are not getting it. Yeah. We call it the piece, tro tro Trojan Gaucho syndrome. <laughs> the other piece, and we, me and Jay have talked about this, is like, um, do you expand it to 20? Some people would be, no way, you go to 10. I'm like, well, I don't know. There's There's been some growth in our game where we're at 60 plus teams now. And it's like, and we're having this conversation about who's 13, 14, 15, like, and there's probably teams deserving of being in that 16, 17 category. Do you know what I mean? In terms of that. So I don't know. That's another interesting. We, we expanded the All-American four or five years ago because there wasn't enough spots. It was 10 and 10 with no honorable mention. It was, it sucked. Like you were trying to figure out, well, who I'm going to cut off number 21. That guy's pretty darn good. So we expanded their honorable mention, which added 20 guys, which has been fantastic because we've been able to recognize more athletes. And then last year, we expanded the first and second team to 12 teams or 12 and 12, which I thought was key in terms of where our numbers was. I think the poll is the same thing. You know what I mean, you've seen some volley talkers do a poll of 20 or 25, and I actually thought that wasn't a bad idea. So I know that guy that works for the ABCA, maybe I can get him <laughs> To get that going or something, you know what I mean? So. I think I think we need to, especially with the tournament expanding in the next year or two, uh, or not next year, but the next two years down the line. I think we need to start expanding. How many teams yeah. do we have now in Division One, Division Two combined? I mean, you, you, it's it's impossible to say at fifteen. I well, think. and think about this: so there's forty six women's water polo Division One and two teams. They have a top twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that might yeah. not be i don't think that's right but i think where we're headed we could go to 20 you know i'm just saying 20 should be easy for us yeah. it yeah. should be easy don't worry it's on my docket this summer guys i'll see if i can get figured out <laughs> <laughs> well, inside there well i want to look at two other matches that occurred in the big west and uh yeah the the fighting matadors taking the beach to five on night one and of course brad knocking off that scary team to play otherwise known as UC Santa Barbara. So let's start with Theo on uh, your matchups this week because, man, I was, I was watching that one late and it's the tail end. 
Yeah, the the uh, the beach came to us the first night. Um, we ended up going five. We won the first two and, and kind of caught them off a little bit. Uh, they came in and I, you know, obviously that team is incredibly talented and and Allen does a tremendous job uh, with not just that team, but the culture and all of the things that they do on and off the court are, are pretty special. Um but yeah, the the competition was was fantastic. I think we had a little over a thousand people in our gym, which which pretty much fills the lower bowl, and um, was was pretty awesome. It was a, it was a great event, and unfortunately, I thought for sure that we had them uh, in the fourth set. I think it was twenty one all, and we uh, we just didn't come out on top. You know, our some of our younger guys are are still learning how to finish and and especially with a team like that what it takes you know and tipping and rolling down the stretch is typically not the answer um you got to take some swings and you got to you got to put some pressure on the other team and you know to give long beach some credit they had three serving subs come off the bench that did a tremendous job um and not only were they ready but they were firing on all cylinders and i think we were up seven five in the fifth and forgive me because I forget his name, but a serving sub came off the bench is number 10. And he rattled off six straight with two timeouts and a challenge, um, continued to keep the pressure going and um, did a fantastic job. And the beach ended up pulling it out late in the fifth. Uh, then we went over obviously to the pyramid and it was, it was quite the battle there as well, but they ended up getting us and they came pretty prepared and, and pretty well uh, executed in terms of their, uh, their ball. But you know, I think if you if you look at that team, uh, you know, their heart and soul goes through Clark Oddbolt. Um, and Clark on that first night against us was was electric. And at one point he was a big part of the scouting report. And we we shut down a lot of their other hitters and, and held those guys to under 200 early on in the match. And Clark ended up having 32 kills and, and just absolutely lit it up. So tip my hat to him. He played great. So uh, you're referring to Connor Bloom off the bench. So got to give him props there. And Godbold only hit 571 with those 32 kills. He purposely forgot the name, just so you know. He, he, he's, <laughs> that's the play. He just he knew the name. He knew the guy who torched him. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> All right, Brad, let's jump over to you because it's a big matchup. Go five against a team that just you, no one wants to play in the uh, Big West tournament. <laughs> No, yeah, and you would, why would you? And they're down a couple middles, they're down um, and, and beaten up a little bit. And even Dane Chalmers, their starting outside hitter for the past few years, you know, he was definitely battling fatigue or some type of injury as well. Um, and he ended up getting taken out and pretty much foam rolling the entire match and, and trying to get healthy and trying to get back on the court. But yeah, it was a it was a dogfight. It was a battle, and it was relatively good volleyball you know we weren't both teams weren't super efficient um, but limited errors for for good stretches you know especially from the service line I think both we were about 86 percent in serving in and they were 83 or 84 percent serving in so it was a lot of good consistent volleyball lots of long rallies and and lots of uh, defensive tenacity and for us it was our senior night so it was really special um, to get to send off our three seniors and Ryan Ka who's one of our seniors um, down the stretch in the fifth set he had just about every single swing come his way, and he he managed it like a champ and was able to put some balls away against the Santa Barbara block. So, yeah, it was a fun night and, and great environment and good vibe and a good battle with Rick and, and the Gauchos. Yeah. Well, I'm going to jump over to an EIVA match is big because it basically, it, 
essentially clinch the EIBA title. And unfortunately, it came against Jay over at George Mason. So let's start with it, Jay. How was the uh, pairing against Penn State this weekend? Well, listen, Penn State is head and shoulders above anybody else in the EIBA right now. They've got a, a, a number of seniors that have been playing together for a very long time together. Uh, and there's a reason why they're, in, in my eyes, in the top three in the country. Uh, and, and, and I'm not going to say dark horse, but I, I still think they're pretty, pretty hotly contested to win the whole thing this year. They're that good when they're on. The challenge that they're going to face is, is everybody going to be healthy? And they, and they, they slow down just a hair uh, when some other players aren't on the court. But it's, they're, they're ridiculously good. They, what they do is they make you play volleyball. They make you finish points. Uh, and and we just were inconsistent with our enforced errors. It's happening, you know, almost all season long for us. And we're just, we're still trying to figure out how to put balls away when it matters. We dig a lot of balls. We're unfortunately not transitioning and capitalizing on it. And that's, that's a big challenge for us, but Hey, we're three freshmen and a sophomore on the court at any given moment. And, and when you got young guys, like, like, uh, like Theo was saying, you know, they're still learning how to win. I got guys that tip and roll all the time. When I go, what are you doing? You got one guy up. Why are we tipping and rolling? Find the floor, you know, but that's what young kids do. They try to, they try to get cute with things. And, and unfortunately it doesn't work in their favor all the time. So uh, big boy volleyball is being played by Penn state. The, the thing is, you know, we're going to talk about the EIBA conference coming up. I'm sure in, in the conversation, but first and second place are locked. And the, 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 the discussion becomes three through six who's going to get seated where, uh, and those, those conversations can still be had, but unfortunately I think for, for everybody else, Charleston's going to lock in potentially speed, uh, seed number three, and then it's going to become four through six. And when you look at the way the conference is set up, you know, one and two seeds get a buy three and six play the number two team, uh, instead of the number one team in the next round. And that's, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. So uh, it, or, or I'm sorry, three, six play the, um, they play the uh, second seed and uh, the four five plays Penn state in the second round. And that's a tough, that's a tough one to get by because Penn state at home is going to be really, really tough, but yeah, hats off to them. They played well. Fisher's really good kid had 13 kills the first night and 14 kills the second night combined for the weekend, 486. That's my pick. <laughs> besides tj murray he gets a shout out <laughs> tell me tj listens to the podcast still please <laughs> um final match before we go to our conference breakdown with the postseason looming calling it postseason pandemonium but um grand canyon stanford that series feel free to jump in but wow i, I would have never called that you know a 2-0 win on the weekend for Stanford, not because they're not good. I know they're good. Saw them, but the Grand Canyon is good. So uh, let's have the coaching staff chime in. Let's start off with uh, Dan on this one. Well, I think we talked about it. I think I was like you. I thought Grand Canyon would for sure come away with a split, if not both. I think they were coming off uh, playing UCLA, if I'm not correct, right, the weekend before. And so I thought they would come in. and But don't underestimate Stanford and Will Rotman and what Costi's doing with that young group and how those guys are competing. And uh, like any place else, conference games are tough to win on the road. And that was at Stanford uh, in terms of that. And so I thought uh, those guys took care of business and put themselves in a really, really good spot as we're going to talk about where the conference seedings are here in a little bit uh, yeah. from that standpoint. So we'll go over to Brad. 
Yeah, night one, the Stanford sweeps Grand Canyon and a large part due to serving. Yeah, Stanford just served lights out, got them out of the system, served them off the court a, a good bit, um, which Grand Canyon has been some relatively pretty good passers pretty consistently. So that was impressive showing by Stanford. And then night two, I actually got to tune into it live and um, it was a battle. It was a dogfight and um, they didn't have the best live stream, but, but watching it, there was definitely a few controversial calls that um, like you couldn't really tell how that how it was from what, what I was seeing, but it was very interesting. And you could tell it had a really large impact, especially on that fifth set. There's two or three stoppages of more than just a traditional challenge or traditional questions. It was um, extended and drawn out. And I think Stanford really was able to use that home court advantage and, and that energy within the crowd and their senior night um, to really help push that past and um, Hunter Dickey, one of their seniors, who was a junior college transfer from OCC, um, one of the few transfers they get at Stanford, um, came in as a serving sub and helped kind of seal the deal for them, which was cool to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, the MPS tournament is going to be at Stanford. So that's going to be a huge factor for them moving forward. Um, so seeing how the rest of that shakes out, but Stanford's in a really good spot to make a little late run. Yeah. Over to Theo. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, I think the, you know, Grand Canyon, a lot of their experience comes on the pens, right, between Camden and, and uh, Christian, and they've got a lot of success there, and seeing night one, Stanford really, really was able to execute through the middle, um, and the both their, both their starting middles hit five and 800, uh, and, you know, I think that that's an area in which might be a little bit of a weakness for Grand Canyon, having a young middle, and, and I don't know that they're their middle duo has been able to uh, or been in a position where they've had to stop really effective middle attack. And um, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back and, and get to a place where they can defend teams of that caliber and that type of situation. And especially like Brad said, to have an in system out of system type of play, right? Stanford was in system, passed the ball pretty well and was winning the certain pass game. And, um, you know, Grand Canyon's got to be able to swing out of that and get their mills involved in a different way. And, find a way to slow down Stanford. So I thought Stanford did a fantastic job and really to no surprise, really the, I think the bigger surprise to all of us is, is that uh, Grand Canyon wasn't quite as sharp on night one as we hoped they would be. Yeah. You know, it's been some time since we've seen a middle really dominate performance wise against a top team, but Stanford had two Nathaniel Gates and Ethan Hill. And if you look at their combined numbers, they had 28 kills between them and a total of three errors. They're both hitting north of five, 550. And I had never seen that before. So they were on fire. And I was actually watching on the way home from your match, Theo. And gosh, that was a hotly contested fifth set. And uh, those middles really came through in the clutch. So, and so Rob, the Rob, while we're on the subject, I have both of those middles, Gates and Hill, as my players of the week. Uh, just wanted to get that in before Dan went. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's go over to Jay. <laughs> well, first of all, the fighting Costies are a tough team at home. They always have been. Uh, and John, you know, John's been there for quite a while. He knows that program inside and out and how they work. And, you know, they, they he's not really concerned with how they come out of the gate starting wise. He always wants them to be playing their best volleyball, obviously, at the end of the year. And they're obviously doing that right now. And you, you mentioned that one of their kids is a junior transfer to Stanford to show you how rare it is. I think the only other Stanford men's volleyball player that is a transfer was Ruben Nieves. 
who took them to the national championship as a coach in 1997. That's the only two that I know of is him and this guy that you're talking about now. So, you know, if you're a junior college transfer, Stanford ain't the place that you're going to get a lot of, a lot of looks from, but uh, to no avail, uh, they are a tough team at home. And if they're hosting the MPSF this year, that's going to be a little trouble for everybody. And listen, good middles, people underestimate, and they always say the same thing. You win with your pins, but having good middles makes it a lot easier on your pins because they make people have to commit with you and, and take some chances here and there and open some things up. And I think the only thing we learned about Grand Canyon is Hickman, Janky, and, and uh, Gianni, when nobody knew who those kids were, they were darn good. And now everybody knows who those kids are. And now they've slowed down just a hair. It's not like they're being shut down at all, but they're not as effective as maybe they used to be in the beginning of the year. We'll see if they can write that ship out at the right time when it matters. Grand Canyon's a team you don't want to face. Stanford's a team you don't want to face. Concordia is a team you don't want to face. That MPSF is dangerous. And, and, and I know UCLA is sitting at top, but there's a bunch of teams in there that can win on any given night. And if it's not being hosted up at BYU, I like their chances too. <laughs> I always feel like you just named a law firm, Hickman, Jenkins, and Gianni. That's so, right. That's right. <laughs> get those t-shirts going. Go Lopes. <laughs> um, well, let's go into our conference play because uh, we are one week out and some are on their golf break like Dan. But <laughs> uh, I'm going to kind of run through the non-birth tournaments. That's the IABA, NEC, SIAC. Um, top team in the IBA, Lincoln Memorial, clinched regular season title. Queen is one of the other top seeds and a favorite. In the NEC, Damon clinched a bye to the semis with clinching that league uh, conference title. St. Francis and Long Island are top seeds and favorites in that uh, conference as well. In the uh, SIAC, Edward Waters clinched their regular season title and a bye to the semis. And Central State, close behind there, also has a bye to the semis. And also those two are the top favorites. So with that, let's jump over to, I like naming these topics here. No cruising in the conference, Carolinas. You have NGU, who's in first place. But if you break that down, if you look at the losses in conference that NGU has, it's the King, 2-3, Erskine, 1-3, and Mount Olive. And they'll easily end up facing one of those teams in the semis. But I wanted to get, as always, the coaches panel slot on Conference Carolinas in the conference tournament. And let's go. Let's start with uh, Theo. He hasn't started on a topic yet. So Yeah, I think uh, I think NGU is definitely the topic of conversation um, and having their losses be against teams that on paper you would assume are not as good or not as competitive as they are um, tells you a little bit about their team. And maybe there's a possibility that they took those teams a little bit lightly early on in the year or during the regular season. I think it'll be really interesting to see as that conference tournament plays out, can they shift into that postseason gear, right? Does NGU have that capability and can they face a team like Mount Olive or Erskine? And did we lose Theo? Oh no. Uh-oh. Brown Nord off state. Bad, bad IT at Nordoff State. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a good pose for him to have on there. So we'll no, it's good, yeah. I wish I had a drawing tool. I could draw some stuff on his face. It'd be great. <laughs> well, while he's, we were hoping he'll get reconnected, but some of the top of offensive players, Michael De La Cruz leads away 3.79 points per set. Diego Rosich also. And they got three top gun performers. And the third one is uh, Emmanuel at Adamas Adams. Um, so, you know, potent group from last year as well. You know, they, they come back with experience. Oh, we just lost Theo fully. There we go. 
Am I back? You, you are, are back. You on your face. It was frozen. I made some marks on your face. I drew a couple of <laughs> What? So did you guys catch all that or no? Negative. Okay. So I think watching North Greenville and seeing what if they have that postseason gear, right? Can they turn it up to the next level and beat some of these teams that maybe they took a little bit lightly the first times around and in regular season? I think a team like Mount Olive, Erskine, those teams are capable of playing at a high level. But I think North Greenville is definitely the horse and is the one that can win it as long as they come ready to play. Yeah. Uh, let's go over to Jay. <clears throat> I. North Greenville is a team that won it last year and went to the big dance and beat Princeton who beat Penn state. And you got some of those guys on that team still, and they know what it felt like and they know how to play. Uh, we faced them early this year and we beat them uh, in three or four and it was a good match or a good team. Um, I think they are the favorites. Uh, I think, I think they're going to come out on top. It's not going to be unscathed though. They're not going to go three Oh and every, in every match and they're going to get tested in a couple here and there, but I think North Greenville is the team to beat. Yep, let's go over to Brad. Yeah, North Greenville, I mean, they had that loss to Mount Olive, I think it's three or four weeks ago, but since then they've been jamming and they've been kind of humming and playing some pretty good volleyball. They played Belmont Abbey this week uh, before the conference tournament kicks off, and I think that'll be a good indicator. Belmont Abbey is one of the tied for second with, uh, with a Erskine. couple other teams, with Erskine, yeah. So that'll be a good indicator to see, you know, if they're in that postseason mode or not. But Erskine's got two arms there. They have one outside hitter and opposite that are pretty good. And if those guys are hot and, and on, it can make for a long night. So uh, I see Erskine in North Greenville in a five-set battle to, to go to the national tournament. All right. Over to Dan. <clears throat> yeah, I think the hiccup becomes king. Like Ryan Boer does a really nice job with that group. And so, um, you know, if they get in that semifinal match and Boer gets his guys where he wants them, I think uh, they can make it pretty tough. Uh, but I do think North Greenville has got the leg up on everybody. I think they return the pieces. They've got some experience. They're at home, right? And so I think that it all puts that in a good spot for those guys. So. I, I I don't know if you're going this way, Rob, but here's a bummer. And, and it's understandable it has to go this way. But how much of a bummer is it that we're not going to get to see Damon play somebody in the national championship? And how big of a bummer is it that Lincoln Memorial is probably not going to get in that large to go to the dance because they're good too. I mean, these, these next, this next year, this year is the last year that it's going to be this small or next year is the last year is going to be the small. When we get to 12, man, it's going to be a lot of fun to see because Damon, Damon can beat a lot of teams this year. I mean, some of us on this screen, I've seen them live and know how firsthand, how tough they can be. Imagine that team having maybe one more player that is big time. And all of a sudden Damon's Damon's in the hunt. Are you throwing uh, salt indirectly at people on the screen there, Jay? No, not not anything. <laughs> yeah, but I think the interesting topic becomes like NEC gets their, their auto bid here in another year, so you're going to see a team from that conference. But I still don't think Lincoln Memorial gets in as much as I think they're talented. I think that that IVA group and them not having a way to get or a pathway to go. You thought that Lincoln Memorial's regular conference was going to add men's volleyball, and I think that makes it tough for that independent group. I mean, Queens goes into a conference, so they lose another solid team in the IBA. So I think that becomes an interesting topic, even if it's expanded to 12, because you and me both know four or five teams are already left out as it is that are top 10, you know what I mean, in terms of it. So GLVC conference, yeah? Yeah, I think that's a few years away still, buddy. <laughs> 
All right. Well, let's jump to our next conference. And ironically, we finish on Dan, but Miva Madness. Did you say tie? That's our big topic here. And I don't know if I should read the piece from Volleyball Man because Lee did a great job of summarizing it. Or if Dan, you want to take a shot at what happened this weekend that was the big uh, fiasco in the uh, MIVA. I don't know about fiasco, but I think going into the weekend, uh, Loyola had won a share of regular season. They were going into the weekend. They win one match. They win the league outright and host all the way through. Uh, But they had to go through Ohio State and Ball State, who were both sitting right behind them uh, in terms of uh, standings. Uh, And so, you know, Loyola goes in, loses both matches, creates a three-way tie uh, between Loyola, Ohio State, uh, and Ball State, and then granted, both Ball State and Ohio State had to take care of Purdue Fort Wayne as well, uh, which John Dietrichs and a handful and Bryce Walker uh, as well in the middle. And so, so they took care of the, them as well. And so it put this three way tie. And Ball State basically had the, the tiebreaker between the three uh, in terms of sets uh, on those win losses. And that's how the tiebreaker goes. And then uh, Loyola has the tiebreaker on Ohio State point wise even though Ohio State won in three. Uh, so you get Ball State as one and Ohio State as three, Loyola as two. And and then at the top of that, you had the three-way tie with um, Lindenwood, us, and uh, Purdue-Fort Wayne. You know, we needed to win two, Purdue needed to lose two, and uh, Lindenwood needed to win two. Uh, but Lindenwood split, so it put them tied with uh, us because we won two at seven and Purdue lost both at seven. And then uh, we backdoored into fourth because – we had some points and some sets, you know what I mean? So we end up fourth and we get to host. And I'm not sure I've seen that many ties, like you said, over my 19 career, 19 years here, do you know what I mean? I think we yeah. said 96 was the last time there was a three-way tie for first. And so, uh, but then you had a tie with seventh and eighth. Quincy and McKendry were tied. Uh, and McKendry got it on sets uh, between the two because they'd won in three and Quincy had won in five. So, Lots of stuff going on there in terms of that. But. Hence the fiasco. Everywhere was uh, a tie. So, uh, but, you know, being that you did a great job of explaining that whole scenario, which is better than I could have done for sure. But um, for the other coaches, I know that we had um, picked a certain amount of teams, preseason favorites, so to speak, in the, the MIVA, but I did not think it'd be like this for the entire conference, you know, with ties throughout. But um, as outsiders of the Miva, what are your takeaways? Uh, what's happened in this Tyson and what does that say in the quality of play as you look from the outside in? And we'll start with you, Brad. Yeah, I mean, it talks to the level of play across the board to where I think the Miva in the past has always been, you know, the top three teams, maybe the top four teams have a chance to win um, to where now it's really any of those teams can beat anyone. Uh, and maybe McKendry's having a little bit of a down year and Quincy is, is on the rise, but uh, like really everyone can beat everyone. And that's, that's always fun to see. And the, and the piece I think about is, you know, how, how much does this hurt the Miva, you know, trying to get an extra at-large bid, they'll get the AQ, but now it kind of takes all their guys out of a chance of getting an at-large bid. So that Miva tournament becomes ultra important for them, depending on how things shake out with the MPSF and the big West, but um, based on what we're seeing, that's most likely how it'll how it'll shake out for the national tournament. Yeah, let's go over to Jake. Well, Dan might hate me hate me about this, but I think it's Ball State, Ohio State, and Loyola uh, that'll be the in the final hunt, Wait. so to speak. But I'm but, okay. It's all right. I don't mind. Yeah, it's listen. It, we're we're we you know we're we're trying to give our honest opinions here. It, here's the thing, though. 
I would have said Loyola was the clear favorite, but if Loyola is not hundred percent heavy or healthy, they're not the favorite anymore. And Ball State and Ohio State are the two hottest teams right now in that conference. Doesn't mean that somebody else isn't going to get a chance to beat them because that could happen. I just think that they're the two favorites and Loyola, if they're healthy, would be in that mix. Uh, but, you know, like any other conference, everybody down below, they have a good night here and there. And all of a sudden they make somebody's season end real quick uh, and that can happen. But uh, I think those are the top three in my eyes uh, that one of those three will probably be the one that walks out. Yeah. And then at the yeah, I think I think when you look at those top three teams, uh, it's going to be interesting. And Loyola, I think for the first time this year, is probably on the bottom of the of that group, just given the health. And can they get healthy and get to full percent? If they can get to 100 percent, I think they got a legitimate shot. But on the other side of the coin, I think we're seeing the best versions of both Ball State and Ohio State. Right. With Tanashi and Caleb Janess of Ball State firing on all cylinders, I felt like early in the year. One of them would have a good game while the other one was a little bit off, right? And now it looks like for the past few weeks, they've been playing, both those guys have been playing incredibly well uh, night in and night out, which is really key. And then I think at Ohio State, both Jacob Pastor and Shane Wetzel finding their rhythm, right, with Michael Wright Dishon, uh, I think those two teams are operating at, at, at 100% right now. So it'll be interesting to see if they can continue that and carry it through the postseason and can Loyola get healthy? And then can Lewis get past the first round and shock the world? Because I think any team that's playing underneath Dan Friend uh, is going to have at least some good advice and going to be prepared. So I'm excited. I think this Miva is about as exciting as it gets for men's volleyball. I'm thrilled. Look at that. Nice plug at the end to to wipe off one of the times you've thrown salt at Dan earlier in one of the episodes. <laughs> Well, let's jump over to the EIVA. It's Jay's conference, clinching early and for the third time. We were talking about Penn State, but there's still some developing scenarios. So let Jay take off of that one. Well, the conference is completely different than anybody thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. If you look at how the, the preseason poll shaped out, obviously Penn State was at top there, but then you had uh, NJIT and you had Princeton. Uh, you had us, and then, you know, Charleston and Harvard were kind of in the bottom there, and and it's shifted around completely. Penn State obviously is still the top choice, but Princeton is locked in the number two seed right now. Uh, Charleston is probably locked in at number three. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to take a match from Penn State this upcoming weekend. That puts uh, us potentially at fourth and Harvard at fifth and NJIT at sixth. Uh, I think that the biggest challenge for NJIT has been health. I know they've had a couple of their players over the course of the season that have not been 100%, and it definitely shows. Uh, but Harvard, who was at the bottom all year long, took two matches from NJIT this past weekend, and nobody expected that. Harvard has figured out some things in recent weeks, and they're going to be a handful. We fly up there this weekend uh, for their senior night, and you know, on senior night, it's anybody's game. But really, at this point, it's to, it's to find out who the season or who the seeds are going to be uh, four through six. Uh, and that's going to be the real deal. Um, cause I think Penn state, Princeton and Charleston have locked everything in, in terms of positions, but you know, it's all being hosted at Penn state and they're the ones that get to sleep in their own beds at night and they're comfortable in their gym. They've got a bunch of fifth year guys that are not happy with how last year ended. 
Penn State's a juggernaut, and it's going to be awfully tough to beat them in their own gym. The trick is, can you see them in the semis, or can you wait and hold off until seeing them in the finals? Because anybody can get hot for one match, but I don't know if Penn State's going to going to let up this uh, this year. I think they're going to be the ones to take it on the EIBA, and they're going to represent us well. All right, let's go to the outside looking in perspective from our other coaches on thoughts on the EIBA playoff situation. We'll go to uh, Theo on this one first. Yeah, I, I think Jay hit it on the head. Penn State is that's the juggernaut. Um, if you, you were a, if you were a betting individual, you'd be putting your money on Penn State, and I think it's an easy bet. Um, I think the big question is: Is Princeton in a position to do what they did last year um, and come into that tournament and and catch fire? Uh, obviously, I think this time around it's a little bit different. But when you have a guy named Ben Harrington on your roster, uh, I think you're in good shape. And that's not even to mention Nero and, and obviously the Wedbush duo. I think they have a, a roster that can absolutely challenge. Uh, but I think Penn State takes this. Now, jump over to Dan. <clears throat> well, we've seen Sam do it every year. Princeton, in the middle of the beginning of the year, isn't very good. And then all of a sudden, they just get better and better and better. And so, um, I think you're seeing him do it again with this group. And uh, I don't know. We say Princeton's, I think Princeton's going to upset Penn State in the finals. I'm calling, Woo! you know what I mean? And so, like, <laughs> Sam, you can send me a, a, a six-pack, buddy. It'll be great. You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> don't hate me. Uh, but I think the interesting one becomes NJIT and Charleston. Uh, that becomes a 6-3. And, like, NJIT is capable of upsetting Charleston for sure. Do you know what I mean in terms of that? Uh, and so, and uh, you know, Charleston's taken a couple losses. I, I does do they bounce back against Penn State or do they take two more walking into playoffs uh, with four losses? And so I think that'll be an interesting piece. And uh, how do they how do they respond to that? I think that's the always make of a good team. We've seen you've said lots of great things about Charleston and they've done a really nice job. But how do they put a bow on this at the end? Are they able to kind of rebound or do they uh, kind of fall off a little bit? Well, you know, a little side note. Charleston definitely has the senior gift of the year. You got to look on their social. I reposted on mine and the stories, and I think it's on NCA MVB. They gave their seniors bobbleheads. Classic bobbleheads. <laughs> so with that, but I digress. Let's go back to Brad. Yeah, those bobbleheads, I saw them right before we jumped on. They looked sweet. And I was like, dang it, I messed up. That would have been so great to have. <laughs> So well done uh, by Charleston. And uh, yeah, with the Eva, Princeton's trending up. Uh, I don't think they're trending up enough to upset Penn State uh, like Dan thinks, but I am excited <laughs> to watch that semifinal. Dan's just a salty old guy, so he doesn't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think the semifinal with, you know, uh, Princeton versus Charleston will be really entertaining. Um, and they had some good matches at Charleston and seeing them at a neutral site will be uh, will be really fun to see. And But yeah, Penn State... I view them winning the EVA. Yeah, there you go. Shifting to the MPSF going westward. And we don't have an MPSF coach on here, but Theo is pretty familiar with a group of those guys. So we're going to have him take a look. And, you know, MPSF Bruin Braun and MPSF Madness. We still have a lot of things to be determined there. Theo, take a shot. I think a week ago, you're looking at the MPSF and you're going, oh, this is a no-brainer. This is easy, right? Uh, UCLA, obviously 10-0. and 0. Um, it was looking like Grand Canyon would be the easy second. They were sitting at six and four, and obviously they were neck and neck with BYU at that time. Um, 
but they'd been top five all year. You're looking at Grand Canyon going, yep, as long as they continue to do what we think they're capable of, they're an easy second, um, maybe battling for third. But then this team named Stanford comes in and completely changes things. Um, obviously, two huge wins by Stanford this week, uh, which has put Stanford now in third. And Grand Canyon, a team that's been top five all year, is now six and six and sitting in fourth place in the MPSF. Um, I think things have just gotten interesting. And I think that this, this tournament, as it starts to shape up, could be some of the some of the best volleyball that, that we're seeing across the country. And um, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what Matt Worley does with his Grand Canyon team. And can he turn this thing around and get them going uh, while Stanford is firing on all cylinders, BYU. And I thought Capono was fantastic uh, last week. They were obviously neutral this week, but last week he played fantastic. Um, and then obviously UCLA, the easy favorites at 10 and 0, I don't see anybody beating them. So those other three teams are really going to have to battle it out. And then we know that even a team like USC, who at the moment is on the bottom of that conference, can beat any team. And Jay mentioned this earlier. He's, he's still voting them in the top 15 because they are a top 15 talent. Um, and when you have a top 15 talent on any given night, it can be a really exciting one. So this conference is looking as, as thrilling as we thought in the beginning. Um, let's see if UCLA can hold on to that number one spot. And good job, Dan. But you've also uncorked so many more side topics within that conversation. But <laughs> coaches talk. Let's go over to Brad. Yeah, I mean, when I look at that, I think UCLA is the favorite right now. They, I mean, that's no, that's not breaking news. Um, they've been playing the best all year long within that conference. Um, and then you look at BYU, Stanford are are heating up. Grand Canyon's cooling down. Pepperdine's cooling down a little bit from where they were earlier on this year. And that Pepperdine Grand Canyon match in the first round is going to be really fun to watch. I think they went five both nights out in Malibu uh, early on in the year. So seeing where they're at up in Palo Alto, seeing where they're up in the MPSF tournament, that's going to be a really fun one. And, and really, you know, whoever comes out of that one will have some good momentum rolling through the rest of that MPSF tournament. But, you know, I, I, I actually think BYU is playing the best currently uh, apart from UCLA and I, I envision UCLA beating BYU in that MPSF final. Ooh, look at that call. Let's go jump over to Jay. I think the first round of the MPSF is anybody's game because there's so many teams that are uh, talented, and it's just a matter of can they can they figure it out on that night. But as that tournament wears on, I think experience is going to really be coming into play, and I think UCLA is the team at the moment that I think is the most experienced and has uh, the best chance to come out on top. My two underdogs are BYU and Stanford. Um, I think Stanford is figuring a few things out and, you know, they, they, they all year long have kind of been in the background and nobody's been talking about them. And all of a sudden they figured a few things here and there and, you know, beating Grand Canyon who might be a little cooled off at the moment is no easy task still. Uh, and Stanford did it twice. So um, those are my dark horses, but I think UCLA is the team. Yeah. Over to Dan. Yeah, I think the the tough part is Grand Canyon. Are they kind of stuck at the fourth seed? Yeah. Not yet. Not yet, right? <laughs> yeah, I just like if if Grand Canyon doesn't have to face UCLA in the semifinals, I think we talk about experience. Grand Canyon has a ton like more than Stanford, more than BYU, do you know what I mean, in terms of just like guys who have been on the court and played for 
like 10 years, I feel like, you know what I mean? And so, like, <laughs> so I just, they've got a ton of experience and we know they're capable. And, and I think Worley's going to get them where they need to go. And so I think that if that's possible and they play UCLA in the finals, that'd be pretty cool, I think. But I, I do agree, BYU's been on the rise all year. And so I, it's a really exciting tournament to watch and how these seeds unfold. Um, and those first round matches are going to be key as well, I think. Uh, but I don't know. I think CUI is going to at least split with uh, SC as well. I think we've seen that continuing from that group as, uh, at the same time. And so, yeah, uh, exciting weekend for sure. So, well, I was trying to do the calculations in my head. And, you know, the remaining week of matches has you have Stanford at BYU, BYU six and four, along with uh, Stanford being six and four. If for some reason, you know, Stanford picks it up and they'll pull off the upset. They get the two. Um, when you start getting to the splits, you have to start calculating sets and points. And that's where it's going to get ugly. I have a feeling, well, let's just say BYU defeats Stanford in two. They're going to have the Stanford's going to have the same record as Grand Canyon. It's going to come down to sets and, you know, head to head. Stanford beat Grand Canyon twice. So uh, I think they may be stuck at the four, but still to be determined. So I don't want to jump too far ahead, but that's a hard calculation. So um, you already mentioned Concordia and USC for two this week. I think uh, USC, I think it's a good call on the split. I think that USC is, I think they're they're going to be uh, out to close the season strong as they go into a tournament like last year. You know, they they finish strong. I think they have the ability to do that. Um, but Grand Canyon's done for the season. They have to sit back as a spectator and watch all this transpire. So an uh, interesting week of uh, MPSF for sure. Uh, let's go over to the Big West and call it Big West Brawling because nothing is determined at the top yet. So that's Brad. Jump on in. Tell me your thoughts. and We'll let the other guys uh, take a stab, too. Yeah. So we got Hawaii and Long Beach tied for first atop the Big West. Um, and, um, yeah, they both Hawaii. We go out to Hawaii this week and play Hawaii. And then Long Beach has UC Irvine with the home and away there. So those will be two matches um, that'll help to determine who ends up on top and then, you know, potentially depending on how that all shakes out, uh, we could see a tie for first as well within the big West. Um, and then you have UC Irvine, who's, um, pretty much solidified themselves in the top three, or they have solidified themselves in the top three. Um, and they'll have to beat Long Beach state, um, maybe even twice to, to be the number one seed going into the big West tournament, depending on the tiebreaker and how everything else shakes out. And then we kind of have a, a log jam for fourth, fifth, and sixth with San Diego, CSUN, and Santa Barbara. And CSUN plays Santa Barbara with a home and away this, this weekend. Um, and that'll be really telling in terms of, or actually maybe not really telling, but could lead with us having more ties with NCAA men's volleyball <laughs> and more tiebreakers and, and more things that, uh, yeah, I, I'm not smart enough to figure out really, but <laughs> the conference commissioners deal with that. <laughs> Good call. Let's jump over to Jay and thoughts on the, what's happening in the Big West and what could happen and who's not and who's not situation. Well, I think I, the Big West is kind of twofold for me or two different conferences. You have Hawaii, Long Beach, UC Irvine in the top half, Northridge, San Diego, and Santa Barbara in the bottom half. I think the top three are obviously the, the ones that people are looking at. But here's the thing you got to keep in mind. Long Beach went five with Northridge. It went five with Santa Barbara and Santa Barbara's at the bottom of the heap. And everyone is, is kind of recognizing that Santa Barbara's having a down year, but even in a down year, they went five with Long Beach and could have taken it. Um, so I think those, I think those teams below Hawaii 
are the ones that, uh, you know, obviously I think are the ones that are fighting and fighting. And I think Hawaii is going to pull it out. I just think they have too much experience. They've got too many big guys at key positions. You got Voss, you got Dimmy, you got Tella. I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous, and you got uh, Galloway. Those are ridiculous people to have on your court with tons of experience. I think Hawaii is the team to beat, but don't be surprised if you see some other team beat Long Beach in a semi to get into that final. And then all bets are off. Yeah. Let's jump over to Dan. <clears throat> Who's hosting the Big West? Is it Long Beach? Irvine. 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 Yep. Ooh, yeah. Oh. Well, I still, Hawaii is my favorite as we go into this. Uh, but I just, uh, I think Irvine hosting and Irvine's playing some pretty good volleyball. Um, it'll be nice to see how the Irvine Long Beach series goes. And does Irvine get a split, two end, go 0 and 2? How do they respond after Hawaii? Um, I think that'll be pretty key. Um, but yeah, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write off anybody below that. Uh, I think we're, it's a great thing. I think we continue to get better and better across the bottoms of conference to the tops of conferences all across the board, which makes it pretty exciting when you get to the postseason play part. So, yeah. And to close out with uh, Theo. Yeah. I mean, the Big West is, as usual, um, a lot of really great teams and are incredibly competitive. I think it's time for a little bit of salt because I don't know that we've had this conversation since we started this episode. Um, Irvine traveled to Hawaii this past week. And I don't know why we're not talking about this, but Irvine because has it hurt me. That's why two of it the best me. weapons that we have seen in college volleyball to date in Sonny and Heno and Heno being maybe one of the best servers we've ever seen in the collegiate game. Um, they walked into Hawaii and got handled. And that is not a shot at UCI as much as it is an absolute testament to how great Hawaii is. Um I watched a lot of that match and, you know, even, even in a 3-0 loss, Sonny hit 367, 15 kills, uh, scored 16 points, but Hawaii was just absolutely ridiculous. And between Demetrius and, and obviously Chakas, Galloway, and, you know, Jake, what, what do you call him? Jakob, 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 <laughs> one of the Jakobs, right? Uh, maybe setting some of the best offense we've seen. Uh, for them to beat Irvine in the fashion that they did, it was truly impressive. Impressive. I thought for sure that Irvine was going to take one of those. Just the way that they had been playing going into the, that match. And um, I still thought Irvine played well, uh, just not well enough to beat Hawaii. And now as we turn those tables and we look at what does that same matchup look like if it's in the Brent and it's at <laughs> Irvine, then it gets really interesting. Um, and I think with Irvine hosting the Big West tournament, uh, that team has the capability to, to absolutely shock the world. And I think you go back to Jay's point, somebody knocks off Long Beach. And either way, we're going to see some fantastic volleyball at the top of this tournament. Yeah, good call. You know, I was going to mention the UC-Irvine-Hawaii matches, and you actually hit the nail right on the head, Theo, because – I thought that Irvine played as well as it could have. Maybe night two, Heno's serving wasn't as strong as night one, but Hawaii came in so big, and you got to give credit to the unsung heroes, Cole Hoagland and Guillerme Voss, yeah. but Chaz Galloway literally rocked the island with a couple of hits that he had. I was like, oh, my gosh, all three blockers up over with a bounce into the crowd. So, you know, a lot of weapons there. 
<laughs> oh yeah, and Tela on too. That's a great set, man. <laughs> <laughs> so and uh, regarding the, uh, I'm gonna do the plug here. Big West Men's Volleyball Championships, Brenner Ben Center, April 20th through 22nd. Yours truly gets down to the PA mic, so I'll be seeing all you guys in the Big West, which I'm excited about. Um, with that, a lot of action still remaining here in the final week of play. And I, I've got to give you guys a tough task of, I know we're going to be watching everything because that's just what happens here in this last week. But if there was a match to pick, you only had to pick one, what would they be for, uh, for each of you? So give me a second to look um, because I want to remind everyone, be sure to follow all these guys' programs and all that stuff. I know we've gone long, but we've also got to do our player, our coaches, player of the pick. It's been a big hit. So we got to do it again since everyone's race, you know, got their lock in there. It sounds like, well, at least half of you on the screen do. So uh, what are you watching this week? Let's start with Jay. He looks the, the readiest of them all. I'm going to be watching Stanford BYU. I want to see what Stanford can continue to do and what BYU is prepared to do. That's my one match that I'm going to be watching the most. All right. Let's go to Brad. Okay. I'm going way off the beaten path here. I'm going NAIA National Tournament. <laughs> that counts. It, it'll be 12 teams um, from Tuesday to Saturday. It'll be some impressive volleyball was out there last year. And um, I don't think it gets uh, as much publicity or as love as those top teams. You know, we've seen them play a lot of the NCAA teams um, from Vanguard to Masters to Benedictine, Mesa. But uh, that'll be some really good volleyball out there. And then I also got North Greenville, Belmont Abbey as well in the Conference Carolina, kind of the, the tune-up match before their conference tournament begins. Yep. And then go to Theo. Yeah, I think I, Jay took definitely a favorite. I'm going to be for sure watching that BYU-Stanford matchup. Um, but I think UCI and Long Beach, um, I think that's that's a two Titan teams going head-to-head, -head, which I think is going to be incredibly exciting um and definitely one i'll be tuning into yep and then dan well i certainly i the irvine long beach one but i'm gonna i want to see how uh theo finishes off with santa barbara so i'm gonna pick theo to win both games i'm gonna give him some love you know what i mean so we'll put him in a good spot um <laughs> the other one is i want to see how charleston bounces back and they got to go to penn state and we talk about like what happens if charleston goes in there and splits and puts themselves in a good spot or is that at charleston i can't remember it's uh, at Penn State. Yeah, so, you know, they go in there. Do they split? Do they all of a sudden reopen our eyes about, uh-oh, as you get into the tournament? So I think that'll be a good one. Yep. Good calls, as always. Then uh, let's go reverse order for Coach's Pick Player of the Week. That goes to Dan, then. What was Brad's? <laughs> uh, I got uh, – is it Batista uh, from Concordia? He, he was, yeah. yeah, he was pretty impressive. So I uh, had a 500 night, 21 kills, you know, so – he and those guys getting a, an upset win over Pepperdine. And so, so yeah. All right. Over to Theo. Yeah. I think unfortunately it's got to be Clark Godbold, uh, 571 on night one. And he hit 421 on night two. Uh, played absolutely fantastic. I think 32 kills night one was his, the record for him. And uh, a lot of teams have happened to do that against us. It really sucks. And he hurt your heart too, I'm sure. So we can add that in there. <laughs> <laughs> back over to brad i got the stanford middle blockers the two-headed monsters nathaniel gates ethan hill over 650 on both nights double digit kills both nights um leading the way to those two big wins against grand canyon excellent 
And then finally to Jay. I'm going to follow Theo's lead and I'm going to pick Cal Fisher of Penn State. The kid hit 13 kills, 385 on night one, 14 kills, 591 on night two. The kid hit 486 on the weekend, served a BB at us all the time. Uh, he is cat-like, a lot of fun to watch. For you smaller opposite hitters in the country that are young looking to see if you can play at the highest levels, this kid's a real deal. He's really good. Reminds me of a, of a young Aussie Antonini, if I will. Well, look at that reference. <laughs> That's uh, early 90s there, Jay. Yeah, well, I'm 53, <laughs> so that kind of makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, that closes out episode 191. Oh, final piece of advice. If you're looking for tickets to the NCAA Men's Volleyball Championship hosted in Fairfax, Virginia, be patient with the site. Search it out. It's hard to get to. I'm going to tell you right off the bat. I, As a tech guy, I had a hard time finding it, but I'll try and post it on social. Jay, you're waving your finger at Matumbo it's- style. It's not George Mason's fault. Just so everybody, <laughs> don't send me hate mail going, why can't they figure it out? It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with the NCAA's website. So send your hate mail to them instead. <laughs> it is out there. Yep. And with that also, it's official. Me and Jay on the opening round and quarterfinals of the NCAA Men's Volleyball Championship streams on ESPN+. Plus. Is that what it is? Yep. So looking forward to working with Jay. It's been a long time since I've been in the same office, so to speak, as you from the uh, dungeon of Crawford Hall, but looking forward to it. So um, that's Jay Hosick of George Mason, Brad Rostrad of UC San Diego, Dan Fran of Lewis, and uh, Theo Edwards of uh, Cal State Northridge. Thanks again, gentlemen. Best of luck this week, except for Dan, who's chilling until his conference starts. I play Saturday. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, that's that early, huh? Yeah. <laughs> New Wayne. Okay, you have a few days to chill. All right. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, best of luck this week. I look forward to catching with you next uh, Monday. See ya. Thanks, Rob. See you guys. Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Espero at the Rob on the Mic on Instagram and at Rob on the Mic on Twitter.